0: clutch athletics and rich paul the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community with rising defensive football stars will anderson and chase young on the roster clutch athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes giving them style and performance on and off the field learn more and purchase clutch athletics at newbalance.com to the house! Touchdown!
1: this is
0: And welcome back to the Cover 3 podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Frinelli. I'm Chip Patterson, and this is the conclusion of the Spring Gleaning Series. Yes, we started all the way back in the Pac-12 North, breaking it down for you division by division. Be sure that you go back. I mean, the episodes aren't going anywhere. It is meant to be a library full of 2020 college football knowledge that you can go and return to at any time. I don't know when the next road trip might be for you and your family, but, you know, maybe if you just want to get out of the house and and go find out about a new neighborhood, you know, just throw on the Cover 3 podcast, uh, give it a five-star rating while you're at it. Gentlemen, uh, how are we doing right now as we uh, gather together to do some concluding of the spring gleaning with Notre Dame and some of our favorite group of five programs for the upcoming season?
2: I'm trying to cool down because it's been thunderstorming here like since probably about 2 a.m but there was a there was a little bit of a gap between thunderstorms so I took I took the dog for a walk while I could and while it's only like in the mid to upper 60s temperature wise it's just like 95 percent humidity Mm -hmm. and walking in that kind of humidity while wearing one of those masks is a uh it's a pleasure and a joy and I look forward to doing it over and over again
3: so you're a you're a a mask anytime you're in public guy, huh? Uh-huh. All right.
2: I live I live in a city with a very high population density.
3: Just a lot of a lot of people rubbing shoulders mm-hmm. on the sidewalk. That's yeah.
2: right. Just rubbing on each other. Yeah.
3: You know. <laughs> uh yeah, no, that's that makes sense. I'm I'm sitting here. Um I was just thinking today about how like this quarantine is creating on a new appreciation like tom you it sounds like you've like sort of newly appreciating like the gaming world chip you're probably getting to dive back into music a little bit maybe like pulling out your old turntables or something yeah. whatever you whatever you get into I, the the thing for me that i've like my newfound respect is for potato chips like <laughs> the like Fritos and like, cause I, we got to eat every meal at home now and I always eat it out like Fritos, sour cream and onion, like any kind of Doritos, that stuff, that stuff's f- is phenomenal. Like that is, <laughs> that is, those things are amazing.
0: Is this cycling in back into your life or are these your decisions? Because they sound, I mean, they, they, they appear to be very sound decisions. And I'm just wondering whether you had previously been all over the Fritos, the sour cream and onion, and the because it's a that that's those are pretty strong selections right there.
3: Well, no doubt. I mean, there's it's a I mean, given the given our circumstances, the fact that we can't go out. Like I, am always a go pick up lunch guy, so I don't ever pack my lunch at work. But now I'm working from home, and I have to build my my meal in order to do it effectively. I've I've ordered some chips from from my wife's grocery runs and like, it's just totally changed. Like it's blown. My, I can eat those chips all day long. I can eat <laughs> chips all day long.
0: So you're snacking so. on them too. It's not just as the side for your lunch.
3: No. So, and by the way, you guys remember how good I'm. my appreciation for oat milk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my, my drink right now for the, the times when I, ha- when I have a cocktail, oat milk and vodka. What fantastic drink!
0: Is that a White Russian, uh, basically? It, so it's got
3: it's, it's a little White Russian-ish. Yeah, yeah. I'm just telling you, oat milk and vodka. Give it a try, boys.
2: See that that sounds like a very upset stomach for me. Is what that sounds.
3: <laughs> yeah, but... it, it, it takes an appreciation. Like if you don't have an appreciation for oat milk already, then yeah, it's not going to work for you.
0: But on a consistency and with the vodka flavor, that's where you get the. It's like a a chocolate-free White Russian. Yeah, yeah, I got you. It's awesome. I'll will give it a. I'll, I'll I'll give it a run. These these give new try. Discuss, let me yeah. know
2: when you let me know when you do it. We'll do a virtual cheers. I can't wait until Lynn asks me what I need from the grocery store next time she puts in an order and I'm like oat milk and vodka (laughs) (laughs) just to see what kind of reaction I get
3: any cover three listeners that want to tee up an oat milk vodka drink. Shoot me a picture, and I will I will fill it up with you. We'll have a we'll just have a little <laughs> little cocktail hour one night.
0: Yeah, a little little cheers in the name of the Cover Three Love. I like it. Uh, all right, let's let's go ahead and dig in. Uh, we begin with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, eleven and two last season. I you go back and you look at this, and you know my memory of this team probably doesn't match what on paper was a really, really, really good season, right? I mean, I guess it's maybe because they fell short of the New Year's Six Bowl, or maybe it was the fact that there was a 31-point loss to Michigan that definitely uh, skewed my opinion of the Fighting Irish out of the team. But you look at it on paper. Look, they beat Virginia. They beat Virginia Tech. They beat Louisville. Uh, again, the six point loss to Georgia, 31 point loss to Michigan are the only losses there. And so, like, that was a really good season. And in fact, since the start of 2017, Notre Dame is 33 and six. And those 33 wins for Brian Kelly match a program record across a three win span from 1988 to 1990, where they also had. 33 wins, So we're dealing with a pretty good sort of era of fighting Irish football. As, as we look ahead to 2020, Ian Book is back. Uh, he will be on the field carrying things out from Tom or Tommy or Tomas or whatever he wants to be called, Tom Reese, uh, as the new offensive coordinator and play caller. The schedule has hosting Clemson on November 7th, hosting Wisconsin on October 3rd, hosting Arkansas on September 12th, along with their six games against ACC opponents. You got all five starters back on the offensive line, but leading rusher and top three receivers are gone. I I look at this team and I've got to... If you believe that the standard has been raised, if you believe that the the floor is higher I don't think it's crazy to look at Notre Dame and, you know, you could, you could say you could let's say the conversation is college football playoff dark horse, maybe outside one of those top five teams. But Notre Dame right now appears to have all the tools that if they catch the right breaks and win, like, like if they beat Clemson, then they might be able to afford one or one other loss there. This is a fighting Irish team that I think can finish in the final four.
2: Martin, I'm going to let you go first because I know how you feel about Notre Dame. Before you do, Chip, I can't believe you did not point out that that 31-point loss to Michigan came in a monsoon, and we all know that monsoons are brian kelly's kryptonite
0: that's true they did nc state michigan the (laughs) he
2: he keeps throwing footballs at him hoping it'll work
0: yeah
3: (laughs) worst monsoon coach in college football
0: yeah everyone knows brian (laughs) kelly is the worst monsoon coach he'll never get hired in indonesia yes (laughs) great great job tom i really appreciate that
3: uh how do i feel about notre dame tom i didn't I, i I didn't know that my Notre Dame opinion was was so transparent. I, I get the impression that you're high. I, I yeah, I'm pretty high in Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah I think um, you've been well, chopping I, it I up think, with Clark Lee. You know, that's right. I just got done with my check check twenty four seven sports. Check my Twitter profile. Talk to Clark about recruiting the linebacker position. I think it's pretty interesting if you like that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, I so I think Notre Dame. First of all, this is this is like. The, the good and the bad, it, depending on how you look at it. I mean, this is like an Ian. This this goes team goes as Ian Book will go. If we think Ian Book is some sort of additional step in his development that he's yet to take, then this uh, this might very well be a college football playoff team. If we think Ian Book is Ian Book, then this pro- still might be like a 10 to 2 team. Yeah. Which is which is probably like that's probably the you know that's the realistic place probably to to place it. Um, is 10-2-ish. But I do think that the offensive line returning is big. I don't really think that the loss of Tony Jones matters too much. I think you know they've got enough experience returning a receiver that I think they can weather some of that loss. And ultimately, this is a program that gets guys better right now. I, I mean, guys improve in Notre Dame. They've. I, I think they'll have line of scrimmage guys that are ready to be the next man up. I think they'll have you know, linebackers that are going to be really high-quality players. Uh, Jeremiah Wusu koromoa is probably as good as any linebacker in the country. Um, and then they just got your boy from uh, NC State, Chip, Nick McLeod. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a starter-quality player at, at corner, which is really what they needed. And then – so I, I, I just think this is a team – you like we're in a place right now in the Notre Dame uh, – Spectrum where you can trust them. I think you can trust them. I think you can trust them when they're the games are supposed to win. I think you can trust them to have it to to go into the 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 playoff caliber games with a chance to win them, and and then you you know you see where the, the dice falls. But I, yeah, I think this is a team that's that's pretty good.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I I think you know the, you mentioned the McLeod pickup, and I think that's huge because for me, one of the concerns about Notre Dame heading into the season was going to be you know it's it's secondary because they have a lot to replace there and I think that you know helps giving just getting that experience in there and another thing too if you look at their schedule I mean they have two neutral site games including the one against Navy in in Dublin to open the season of course who knows what the game is actually going to be but then they also get Wake Forest and Charlotte they've got you know Wisconsin and Green Bay so that's really a Wisconsin home game but When you look at their schedule, it's like I'm not sure you see the game where they're not going to be favored before they play Clemson. Like maybe Wisconsin is favored over them at Lambeau. I'm not sure it should be maybe Pitt on the road of Pitt's off to a very good start gets favored against them at home against Notre Dame, but I doubt it. So when I look at the schedule, I think Clemson is the only one, you know, they're going to be an underdog in, and maybe in that season finale against USC on the road, depending on the kind of season USC's having. So I do think that like a 10 and two season is very much in play. And I do think that with Ian book, I don't think he's got... We've talked about it plenty. I don't think he has the ceiling as like a game-changing elite quarterback, but I think he's got a very high floor for what he can do. So when you look at what they have to replace behind a veteran offensive line... Yeah, they have to replace receivers. They have to replace Chase Claypool. They have to replace guys like Cole Komet. But they've recruited enough at those positions where I'm not worried about them replacing them. And I'm never really worried about replacing a running back, no matter who the running back is for the most part. So offensively, I think this team is going to keep chugging along and be very similar. The defense has recruited well in the last few years. And I expect that while there are guys that have to step in and replace key players, it's probably still going to be pretty good. So, yeah, when I look at this Irish team, it's funny because when you think about where – this program was before Brian Kelly got there and even in the early years of Brian Kelly with that year when they got to the BCS title game Notre Dame was much more volatile there for a long time where you were never really sure what you were going to get and I think it speaks volumes for what Brian Kelly has been able to accomplish now where Notre Dame is once again at that level where it's like yeah they're going to win 10 games and you feel like that is the baseline for what this team is going to do
3: but I also think at the in terms of some of the Go ahead, Chip. Well, uh this this is a little more granular, I'm gonna get into.
0: Well yeah, I, I was just gonna say, but they still there's still a gap. Like the that's where yes. the, Notre Dame has fallen into a very specific place for me where I'm not I like the four and eight jokes are gone. Like we we they have done like the same way that Clemson had to beat Clemsoning. Right, like they had to win a certain amount, they had to level up as a program for us to sort of stop making those jokes. I think that the turnaround internally within that program and the results on the field since the four and eight season have sort of had the. I've let those four and eight balloons fly off into the sky. I'm, I'm done with those jokes. I do think, however, that this team is still, if it does get to the college football playoff, as I've suggested, I do think that there's still that gap between. Uh, an Ohio State, a Clemson, a Georgia, or an Alabama. And so you're dealing with the Notre Dame program where we don't expect the bottom to ever fall out, but you do know it's going to take like the perfect combination of recruiting cycles and development and a couple good bounces if they're going to go up there and go head-to-head against a national championship caliber team.
3: Yeah, and I think as we've discussed Notre Dame in the context of the college ball playoffs and what you know ultimately what that means is in the context of a national championship. To me, and even when you talk about Notre Dame from a recruiting standpoint, because ultimately as a recruiting program, Notre Dame they're the best model that they could track that they could look at and say that could be us too is Clemson, pretty good model, and even the Clemson model recruited in a range that Notre Dame recruits at now when they started jumping into the top 5 was after the the run of quarterbacks it was after basically Deshaun Watson and so no, Notre Dame I think rightly is like Notre Dame fans are are very dialed in to recruiting 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 why can't we get like the talent that Alabama and Ohio State are getting until we do that, we're never going to win national championships. And that's true to a degree. But I think really like the bigger thing for me is when you get that quarterback mm-hmm. that is transcendent, That is that A, can elevate you, the roster you've already established, especially the way they develop, into a national championship program. And B, that can elevate the recruiting to follow into top five, type recruiting, which is what Brian Kelly ultimately has is, is, is vocalized and said he's looking for. So Ian Book's not that guy. And then that's – that's men is no shot at Ian Book. He's a good quarterback, but he's not the transcendent guy. They got a 2021 quarterback committed named Tyler Buckner. That kid I think is the best shot at a transcendent type of quarterback that they've had committed. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I can say under Brian Kelly because I'm, I'm wondering if I'm forgetting someone uh, well, you know, before, like, I don't know, it's not, I think this is the, kid probably has the best shot as being that transcendent quarterback. Um, and so that's the thing to keep an eye on with Notre Dame. If, if you want to take that next step, which obviously they, they're ready for,
0: I was going to just get, I mean, I, I kept trying to reach for Notre Dame quarterbacks recruited under Brian Kelly. And I kept like winding Deshaun up
3: Kaiser is the only one I can think of that's
0: yeah. I kept winding up with transfers. That went on to play for Florida schools like Malik Zaire, Brandon Wimbush,
3: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. or or they're now offensive coordinators, Tom <laughs> slash Tommy Reese. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah, I feel like that's the thing. Notre Dame certainly feels like it has a type at QB, and I think that maybe it should reach a little higher, and hopefully, you know, because they are they're similar to Penn State in that way in that. There's there's a lot on this team to like, but you just feel like they're still a quarterback away from really being that elite team. Although I do think they're more advanced than Penn State and they're in a better position right now, simply because they don't have to compete in the Big Ten East every year. Mm.
3: And they do have, from a recruiting standpoint, too, in terms of like some of the things that we talked about that they that they need in this roster. You know, they they lost a, a tight end in the second round or wherever. Um, they they lost Chase Claypool, a receiver. They, they did lose their running back. Well, they they happened to bring in the number two tight end in the country in this class. They happened to bring in a top 50 wide receiver and a running back that's one of the fastest running backs in the country. So like this this class actually did, at some glamour positions, fill some holes that could maybe help Notre Dame pretty quickly this season.
0: The Cincinnati Bearcats uh, fell a little bit short of their goals. They were... Able to make it to the American Athletic Conference Championship game, but they were unable to get it done against Memphis, losing to the Tigers both in the regular season finale and in the conference championship game. You know, there's there's a lot to be excited about. And of all the starters that are back, including nine defensive starters, six on the offensive side, quarterback Desmond Ritter, perhaps the, the story for Cincinnati in the offseason is that Luke Fickle is back. The Michigan State job opened up, and I think a lot of people pointed to Luke Fickle and him deciding to stick with that Bearcats program and go on to lock up one of the highest-rated recruiting classes in program history said a lot for sort of Fickle's commitment to the now and also probably what this staff and what this team has in store. So after going 11-3 last year, 7-1 and in division play, Cincinnati is going to be right there battling with UCF for a division title, right there battling with Memphis for a conference title. Does – your belief, back-to-back 11 win seasons, is your belief that Cincinnati can maintain this because we are starting to hit, hey, how about this for thematic? We are starting to hit like Brian Kelly levels of success windows here. It Will Luke Fickle be able to get it done again in 2020 uh, or do you think that there's going to be a little bit of a drop-off at some point?
2: Well, I, I do want to quickly point out that divisions are gone because UConn left.
0: Oh, Yeah. There, yeah. So they
2: don't have to win the division. They just got to finish the top two. As for whether Cincinnati can do it, yes. I, I wrote today I had to do our AAC title odds, and I had Cincinnati, who's at 4-1 to one with the third-best odds in the conference between, behind both UCF and Memphis, who we'll get to in a little bit. I wrote that they were the best bet simply because I do think that this is a team that is very much still in the running to win this conference, largely because that defense, that they were led by their defense last year And that defense is back in force. Most of the, you know, the bigger contributors on that unit are all back. And I expect that they will still have a very solid defense, if not the best defense in their conference. And I think with Ritter back at QB, I'm not I'm not super high on him. I think that he does some things well. He does some really, really frustrating things. But I felt like at times that offense was frustrating to watch last year. And I didn't really put it on the quarterback as much as I just put it on the offense itself and the plays that were being run. But they they do lose a lot of you know the skill position guys on that side of the ball. But I just think that when I look at this team, when I look at the defense, this is a Cincinnati team that is last year its record – was better than it actually played like I feel like that team won 11 games but it was probably a nine win team performance wise and it just kind of got you know a couple good bounces and things broke their way but I don't think that you look I don't look at it as a situation where they're going to come crumbling back to earth because I still think that where they played well on defense they're going to continue to play well and I think that offense can improve with another year for Ritter and maybe you know some loosening of the reins and just trying new things if that offense can improve it helps even out maybe some of the luck that they got last year where this is still a team that should win 10 11 games can beat for a conference title definitely i think it's going to finish in the top two of the conference and get a chance to play for it and thus the way history has shown in recent years if you win the aac you're going the very odds are you're going to go play new Year's six bowls so i think all of these things are still very much in play for the bearcats in 2020.
3: So my short answer on Cincinnati is I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, with you, Tom. Like, I, yeah, I think they're going to be really good. I mean, they, they bring back all these guys. They're really well coached. They've got talent on both sides of the football. Uh, I love some of their defensive backs like they're, this is a good football team. They're going to be a good football team. I think there's, there's very little to, to worry about there. Their quarterbacks coming back, um, What's his name's gone? Michael Warren's gone, but they've mm-hmm. got they've got some experience returning at running back too. So I think the I think your question to open it, Chip, is is probably the most interesting one to discuss here. At Cincinnati for me is just sort of all right. Let's just say, let's say they get another 11-1 win here. <clears throat> eleven one win year, 11 and one season. Uh, let's say they beat Nebraska. They, you know, they drop one to Memphis or UCF or, or someone, and then they. They get through it, or, or ten and two, or whatever. Um, I do think that Luke Fickle, and I'm not going to fall into this trap where he's like a Cincinnati guy. He'll stay there forever. And the only job he takes is Ohio State. I don't. I'm not. I'm not buying that. But I do think he's probably someone that is going to be particular about the job he takes. So, if they do have a really good year, and not to get sidetracked on the season preview, but I think this is kind of fun to go down. Wh- like, what are what are realistic potential job openings that he that that would make sense? Any of them? Liverpool? Any? You think of he them. for any any Power Five gig? You think he bounced for?
2: No, no, I mean, I think that in a in a vacuum, Michigan State is a job he'd have left for. But with everything, like the timing of it, and everything that has gone on in the Michigan State athletic department in recent years, he did not want to, you know he didn't want to take on that job or step into that situation. So he passed on it. But I think that if a big 10 job comes open next year and they offer Fickle the job, it's not automatic. I don't think he's going to leave, you know, for any big 10 job. I think that, because I think that the way things are working at Cincinnati, he probably feels comfortable there. He probably is happy with what he's getting. And, you know, now we see maybe the money is enough to keep him there. But I do think that as long as it's, not like a complete reclamation job at a power five school. I think that he would be very interested in leaving. Cause I just think that that's kind of, you know, it's not that it doesn't happen, but I think that that's kind of how the, the, the projection is or the, the, well, I can't think of the correct word, but that's how it works with most coaches because you know, you, you want to move up. Uh, and, Illinois. What do you take? Illinois. I'm not 100% sure on that. He wouldn't take Illinois? See, I don't think he take Illinois. I was going yeah. the
0: other way. I was saying not when I said any of them, I meant he would be a good hire for any of them. Like I no, don't think I, that yeah, they agree problem. with okay. that. Yeah. I,
3: that. But that's not that's I'm asking the question Tom's answering, which
2: is which one would he actually leave for? See, I don't know. I don't I don't know if Illinois I, I don't think if Illinois threw enough money at him, I think he might, but I don't know if it's like a I'm not going to say that oh yeah, he's definitely leaving Cincinnati for Illinois. NC State See, I don't know because that's you know I, I feel like the Big Ten is a, is a smarter draw for him than an ACC school. would be like I think it would have to be a higher tier ACC school than it would have to be that a, a big Ten school. Wow.
0: you hear that Wolfpack fans?
2: No, it's, I, NC State is on a better level in the ACC than Illinois is in the Big Ten. I just think that Luke Fickle is more drawn to coaching in the Big Ten than he is in the ACC, and that's kind of what makes Cincinnati so appealing to him because not just that he's having success there, but he went to Ohio State. He's yeah. an Ohio guy. He knows Ohio. It's the Midwest. He's comfortable there. Culturally, it's a great fit for him. I will say this, though. If Luke Fickle does leave Cincinnati after this season, Cincinnati should replace him with Marcus Freeman, Because Marcus Freeman is a fantastic defensive coordinator. And in fact, if Luke Fickle does stay and another Power 5 team is looking for a defensive coordinator or a new head coach, Marcus Freeman is somebody they should consider as well. If
0: USC hired Luke Fickle, I would think that'd be a great hire. I do too. Yeah. That's all I mean. Like no ceiling on where he could go. If he stays, then wow, Cincinnati's lucky. And I'm with you on Freeman too. He's a former, uh, Ohio, former
2: Bears draft pick is what he is. Former
0: Ohio State player, right?
2: Yeah, he played at Ohio State, yes.
0: Yeah, they got it rolling. Uh, Boise State, 12-2 and overall last year, 8-0 in Mountain West play. Offensive coordinator Zach Hill is gone, but Brian Harson is going to keep it internal, promoting Eric Keysaw to the job. And we also get to see what's, uh, what's in for the sophomore campaign for Hank Bachmeyer. He won seven of his eight starts, but he couldn't really uh, stay healthy. And whether or not he's going to be able to do that is definitely going to be dependent on replacing four starters along the offensive line. So he had trouble holding on to the ball too long. He took too many hits. He was banged up, and now we're replacing four starters on the offensive line. Oh, no. You do have George Helani back at running back after a very productive season in 2019. Defensive side of the ball, you got Curtis Weaver out, three more defensive linemen out. There's, There seems to be such a gap between Boise State and the rest of the Mountain West Conference, yet even um, with all this turnover, I'm just like trying to find ways that Boise State might get got. And I think Boise State could lose some games in conference play, but I'll tell you what, I don't see Boise State losing more than one or two games in conference play. And while from a personnel perspective, we're doing a whole lot of rebooting, this is still a season that if we're going to talk about the New Year Six and setting our sights there, it pretty much just comes down to are you going to be able to get it done in the non-con, which includes a very enticing game against Florida State at home on the Smurf turf and uh, an always dangerous meeting with BYU. So Bo- Boise State, the depth chart personnel an- analysis, anal- analysis <laughs>
2: that was going the wrong way. Yeah. The the
0: depth chart and personnel analysis says that I should ding them or knock them down a little bit, but yet I'm here uh keeping my confidence is that misplaced.
2: I don't think so. I think that the one thing I mean I have legitimate concerns about Boise State. You mentioned how much of that offensive line they have to replace, how much of that defensive line they have to replace. And those were good units. It's not like, you know, they're just replacing guys. This is in in line yards, the offensive line finished 22nd in the country. In line yards, the defensive line finished 13th. So these are not just players that they're losing. It's players off of good units. And that's not easy to replace in any year. But the reason I'm still not going to get too alarmed is simply because if you just look at the talent, Between compared, like if you compare Boise State's talented and recruiting to the rest of the Mountain West, well, it's not like it's miles ahead of anybody. It still has the most talented roster in the conference. And I think that goes a long way when you look at how it's going to perform in conference this year. So maybe they're not undefeated. It's just, I don't know if I see Boise State losing enough games in conference play where. It's not going to win the mountain division and, you know, play for a Mountain West title. So I, I think this is a team that is gonna be ranked all season long and is gonna be competing for that New Year's six pot all season long.
3: It's the Mountain West Wisconsin. Yeah. They just they you know what? Like yeah, they gotta replace their offensive line. Well Oh well <laughs> Yeah, like you think they're that's gonna like cripple them? I mean, they got a they got a quarterback returning, George Alani at running back, they got a lot of their back end players are turning on defense. <clears> they <throat> got a good players returning at receiver. You know, I just like what. I'm not. I'm not going to bet against them.
0: Who's who's their non conference this year? Florida State, uh, BYU. And- oh, Florida State's going
3: to the to the, the Smurf turf.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, Georgia Southern, FSU, Marshall, and BYU.
3: That's right. That's that's that was the thing about because we talked. Uh, I can't remember who we hit. We put on the hot seat for. For Boise State, uh, but ben whether it's Ben or day, De- okay, Ben was like that's that is the if you want to like look at Boise State with concern, it's I mean those are four tough games to start the season. The non-conference slate is pretty legit, uh, but I certainly not trust anyone, not going to trust someone more than these guys in the Mountain West.
0: Uh, any anything else on the Broncos?
2: Uh, I'm interested to see the steps that Bachmeier takes in year two. Cause I think that, you know, I mean, he just certainly had his moments as a freshman where he looked really, really good, but he also had those freshman moments. And it's like, you always hope that's the thing. When you see a guy go from that first year to that second year, especially at quarterback, it's like. How much of that can he smooth out and how much can he grow? Because we've seen it so many times where especially now where quarterbacks are playing sooner and sooner than they used to in the past where a guy is really good as a freshman and you sit there and think to yourself, oh my God, if this kid's playing like this as a freshman, how is he going to be by the time he's a junior or senior? And they just kind of hit that ceiling and they never really get better. So I feel like this is this is one of the thing, things that I love to see with young quarterbacks is what kind of steps do they take from year one to year two.
0: Coming up on the other side, has the, has the dream of the national champions and repeated national championships starting to fade a little bit for UCF? We look ahead to a big 2020 and
1: more next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. Josh Heupel is 22-4 and four in two years
0: uh, with UCF, and the squad that he's got back in 2020 is coming back with a little bit of a vengeance. They lost at Cincinnati and gave up their chance to be able to compete for an American Athletic Conference championship. They're going to be back with Dylan Gabriel back at quarterback, Otis Anderson, Greg McRae. They do lose offensive coordinator Jeff Levy, as we've missed that before. And as we look at sort of what happened Last year, uh, interesting factoid here from ESPN's Bill Connolly, UCF went 5-0 and in one-score games from 2017 through the 2018 regular season. Since the end of the 2018 regular season – they've gone 1 in 4 in one score games including to loss including losses to Tulsa and Cincinnati in games where they won the yardage battle so footballs are starting to bounce the other way things are starting to even out but yet at the same time the way that Josh Heupel has embraced speed and a potent offense uh, and Dylan Gabriel showing he can be very very productive as a freshman expect more from him as a sophomore you know how do you manage what appears to be a very high floor with a ceiling that's been the expectation like are there more Tulsa games in the future should it's very it's a similar question I guess to you know Cincinnati we've seen this level of success from UCF I I tend to think that it can't last forever the UCF's not going to be able to just continue to churn out uh, league leading offenses and maintain everything at a high level so that they're not going to get taken down do you think that UCF in 2020 is prepared to make a run at a conference
2: championship? Make a run at a conference title? Yes, for sure. I I, I mean, there's there's too much talent on the team for it not to be an AAC title contender. It's just kind of what you were talking about there. It's like it depends what you're comparing it to because that magical year of 2017 was an amazing, fantastic season. But that's not the standard. That can't be what ucf expects from year to year and yes there was that long conference winning streak that came to an end last year and that was awesome but winning what was it 27 games something like that yeah i can't yeah that can't be what you expect it to be the other teams are going to catch you because that's just how it works everybody's chasing you once you take the lead and sooner or later they start to catch up and i think We've kind of seen that, which isn't to say that UCF isn't a team that can go out there and win the AAC this year. It very much can. Dylan Gabriel, we talked about Backmire, another quarterback who, as a freshman, looked great at times, looked like a freshman at others. He's got room for improvement. I want to see, going into year two, does does he take the step forward? Is the improvement there? Does he get a little bit better throwing the ball down the field? You know, that's where his accuracy suffered a little bit in my eyes. And then my bigger concern, too, is recruiting-wise. And we talked about this when we did our hot seat because I had UCF. And if you didn't listen to that episode and you want to know more, I suggest you go back, scroll through the feed, and find our hot seat on UCF. I might go into more detail on it. But Scott Frost, since he left, the recruiting in this team has kind of dropped off a bit. Last year's class ranked fifth in the AAC and number 73 nationally. And that's – you know. That's not going to I don't think that has a major impact in 2020, but it does have an impact on the depth and the quality of depth on your roster. And if you withstand if you go under undergo a few injuries, that could really hurt. So I don't think the gap between UCF and everybody else in the AAC was large enough to where they can withstand those kind of, you know, those kind of down years and not expect there to be some kind of repercussions, whether it's this year or if it's next year and in two years from now, when those things are more likely to take place.
3: Um, would you like to pause right now, recut that, and soften that a little bit? Because the UCF official Twitter account has been known to keep a close watch. He already put me on the list. <laughs> I don't know what's next. That was that was that might have been harsher than your hot seat critique. So, if you're already on the list,
2: is that harsh though? Because I still think this is a team that's going to win like ten games, and it's Not, like I. I feel like winning 10 games should be something you'd be happy with.
0: No, I'm going to say that the UCF Twitter account, which I assume is just run by Nitro, you know, the name of the mascot, Nitro. (laughs) I'm going to assume that Nitro is already a cover three subscriber and he knows the fun that can be had uh, with the rivalry with fraudulent Fernelli. So now Nitro (laughs) and the fourth graders in Minnesota are on your list of enemies.
3: Just just racking up the enemies yeah, nationwide he, in all climates.
2: Yeah, and like the last week, we had our hot seat where I kind of poured some water on the UCF, and today when I did, I released my AAC odds, I did not list UCF as one of the best bets, and now I'm doing this. It's like, yeah, I've, I'm going to go from somebody who UCF fans loved a few years ago because my rankings always had them rated higher than the actual polls did, to now I'm going to be an enemy of the state in Orlando.
3: <laughs> I think... I, I I joke because I think ultimately year, you're, you're right. I mean, yeah. But I but when you look at this roster, though, like this year's team, and you know whether it's the remnants of the Scott Frost regime or whether we're going to give the full credit to Josh Heupel at this point is is sort of irrelevant. All I know is like when I look at the the players that are trotting out, they still have really scary skill players on both sides of the ball. Really? Yep. They still have a ton of speed. They still have an exciting quarterback. Um, they're still, like, I, I still have a lot of visions of Otis Anderson and Trey Nixon and Greg McCray, like making these really exciting pl- big plays and, and you blink and they've scored 28 points. And so yeah, I think this will still be a really good team, and there's going to be some tough. What, what's their what is what's the UCF's schedule look like? What do what they what's their non-conference?
2: They open with North Carolina, then they get FIU, then they're on the road against Georgia Tech, and their final non-conference is in early November against Florida A&M.
3: That's a pretty like fair non-conference to to judge them against. I mean, like go go beat North Carolina, go beat Georgia Tech, who will be in Peru from last year, and then. Take care of business at the AAC, and I think that will that might be enough to earn you a pretty healthy chunk of respect.
2: I mean, you've North Carolina. You've beaten the ACC champion, North Carolina Tar Heels. You Heisman
0: know? Tre- I mean, how are they going to slow down, Heisman Trophy winner, Sam Howe? I don't know.
3: Swift, cool. Hall of Fame coach, Mac Brown, top 25 current college football coach.
0: Burning questions in the minds of UCF fans <laughs> everywhere. I do give Josh Hypel some of the- Before we move on, I do, I do think that I'm going to give him some of the credit at least for uh, embracing the remnants of the Scott Frost era, but you know, not just playing total copycat. Though I mentioned uh, Jeff Lebby gone, making an offensive coordinator change. We'll keep our eyes on it, but the everything from comments from Heupel and the production that we've seen in the two years that he's been there suggests that his idea to utilize UCF's major advantage, which is total team speed, is definitely still part of the game plan, and they're going to be able to do that and be able to get, like, even in bad years with a bad quarterback, they should be able to get seven or eight wins just based on speed and athleticism advantages, and I think that's a pretty good plan. Mm-hmm. The Memphis Tigers were 10-3 and last year, 6-2 and in conference play. We got 18 starters back, including Brady White, still in the league. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell, after a very, very productive First freshman season, uh, 2,000 all purpose yards for him. Just at great, explosive playmaking from him. Demonte Cox, Demonte Coxey also probably could have gone to the NFL. He's going to be back. We saw the defense last year statistically go from being slightly below average to, I guess, middle of the road nationally. You know, you're not finding them in the top 25 in many relevant categories, but you're no longer finding them like below the top 50 or top 60. Uh, Mike McIntyre comes in as the new defensive coordinator. How do we feel about McIntyre? And. Do you are you able to tie with Ryan Silverfield taking over and some amount of continuity going on are you able to so, sort of put a big checkmark by the offense and shift the the pressure of whether or not Memphis is going to be able to compete at the highest level uh, on whether or not it can be a team that is not leaky or a liability defensively
3: Well I think like one thing that was really interesting because I thought it was a good hire when they hired Ryan Silverfield. I thought that was the right guy to go with. And then at the same time, I was like, all right, well, we got the Cotton Bowl here, and we're going to find out real quick if there's something missing here uh, without the Magic Man Mike Norvell pushing the buttons and pulling the levers of that offense. And in that Cotton Bowl, uh, Memphis like kind of ran all over. A really good Penn State defense and so I think that makes you feel better like it just sort of reassures things in terms of the future of the offense and when you just look at the guys coming back the offense should be I mean should be really good they've got the running back back who's one of the best in the country Brady White who is who is no more no less than Brady White but that's that's plenty good enough um you got several good receivers Damonte Coxey. Like I think flirted with even the NFL draft. You got a couple guys coming in, Darius Taylor, who's really good, and then you know Silverfield's always good on the offensive line, and the defense. I th- I would think that Mike McIntyre is is somebody that can continue to like improve that defensive unit. Um, so I, I I and and especially given the circumstances right now of just the coronavirus era. It feels like a good time to have a team with plenty of leadership and a, a coaching staff with some continuity because um, Norvell took a couple guys, but the the offensive coordinator's back. Um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the offensive staff is back. A lot of the defensive staff is back. I think so. This is still a a pretty you know, a staff that knows their team, a team that knows their staff that should have the, the identity at least to be able to to deal with the, the current climate.
2: Yeah, I, I have, I mean, the thing with this, with these changes is, there's a lot of variables that we don't know simply because you know there are new coaches in place right and silverfield's head coach for the first time so there's certain things that you can't just take for granted like you could when norvell was coming back every year even when they churned through the roster and replaced guys and replaced coaches it was still the head you know the same guy in charge it's still the same guy you know cooking the meal That said, I mean, we were in that same position when Justin Fuente left for Virginia Tech and Mike Norvell took over and Memphis didn't really skip a beat. In fact, it improved in a lot of areas. So I think that when you just look at the offense and the players that they have coming back, I still think this is going to be a Memphis offense that scores plenty of points. I do think the defense will be ultimately what determines where this team's ceiling is. And with McIntyre taking over, the one thing I'm interested to see is... If there's a bit of a philosophical change because the one thing about that memphis defense is i mean they they were kind of hit or miss at times even though their overall numbers improved which was a good sign but they were also very aggressive and i think that because of that at a lot of times they would give up a lot of big plays because they're playing in a conference where you know particularly in the western division as it existed they were playing against a lot of high scoring you know quick offenses who were taking shots down the field and sometimes when you're extremely aggressive against those kind of offenses when you make the mistake you're going to get burned for big plays a lot. So I'm interested to see if there's going to be a bit of a different philosophy on defense of what they do if they want to play a little safer or if they're going to stick with that same kind of aggression. Because I don't think either one, I don't think there's a right answer or a wrong answer there. I just want to see what kind of direction they're going to go and if they do change, if that maybe impacts things a little bit. But I I think if you're a Memphis fan, it's not unreasonable to think that, hey, we're we're very much a contender for the conference title again.
0: If you're a Memphis fan, you better pinch yourself. You've had, what, Justin Fuente to Mike Norvell, and now things are looking like they'll at least start strong under Ryan Silverfield. That program has been fundamentally changed in the last decade.
2: Yeah. get Get a strong culture in place and follow it. Goodness.
0: Speaking of strong culture, shout out to our friends in Boone, North Carolina. Appalachian State Mountaineers, 13-1 last year, 7-1 in the Sun Belt. Eli Drinkwitz gone after a very short stay, so they go with the homegrown choice, Sean Clark. Uh, taking over the program 12th year quarterback Zach Thomas is back along with four other starting offensive linemen uh Darrington Evans is is gone to the NFL he was a very productive running back but it's an offense that a lot of running backs saw touches I mentioned Darrington Evans not only because he was awesome but because we've got a listener whose uh mailbag check-in was Darrington Evans for Heisman I hope you're still listening and I hope you're still uh Maybe you'll change it to Zach Thomas for Heisman. Uh, Akeem Davis Gaither, also very, very good player on linebacker, but they do bring back a good amount of the defense. One thing I really like from Appalachian State's offseason move, in addition to Sean Clark, is that the hire, they brought back Dale Jones as defensive coordinator. Dale Jones was the co-defensive coordinator for a top 10 defense in 2018, left with Satterfield for one year at Louisville. I don't. I don't adjust his score necessarily based on the one year of being with that Louisville defense. Uh, he comes back. He's got 23 years of experience with the Mountaineers. Uh, I think that he can get that side of the ball in into a good place. So I'm I'm looking at App State, and I'm thinking that last year with Eli Drinkwitz was probably not the best reflection of Eli Drinkwitz and probably a reflection of the program more than anything. And so with another coaching change, is there potentially a step back? There's absolutely vulnerability to it, but I don't see any reason why App State should consider itself anything other than uh, the Sun Belt favorites going into 2020.
2: No, I mean, it's it's the favorite. and It's not to say there aren't questions. You know, defensively, they lose a lot. And that defense was, you know, not what I would call elite, but it was a strong defense and it was one of the strongest in the conference. So losing a lot there. It's just when you compare it to the rest of the Sun Belt, it's like, yeah, you know, Louisiana Lafayette's an up and coming team, but I don't know if it's going to close the gap completely going into this year. I, I don't know if it's there. Maybe Georgia Southern is able to close the gap a little bit and catch it up. But I just look, when I look at the program, I mean, this isn't the most talented team in the Sun Belt. It's just what they have in place, the blueprint, that culture, what they do, knowing who they are. You can enter the season and have people, you know, new places and new faces, but everybody's familiar with what their job is and what they're supposed to do. And you see that in results on the field in the way that they play Now, The one concern I have, besides that defense, though, is a schedule that's a little difficult because they're non-conference. They open with Morgan State, but then they get Wake Forest on the road, which they can win that game. I mean, I don't think any of us would be shocked if App State goes on the road and beats the Deacons, but it's still a tough, tough road game for a, a G5 team. And then the week after that, they're playing at Wisconsin. So this is a team that could have a few losses by the time conference play starts. It's just I still think that they're a lot better than most of the teams in the Sun Belt.
3: Yeah, I mean, they're getting. This is their best opportunity. If they want to really make a splash nationally, this is one of their better opportunities. Given the, you know, at Wake, at Wisconsin, uh, talk about Sun Belt, Sort of clearly the best team in the Sun Belt. They are. You know, Louisiana, Lafayette is is rising. They seem to be getting better every year. They got some good players back. They're, they're sending players to the NFL. That's turning into a pretty nice little cross div- – they're, they're separate divisions, right? Cross-division rivalry.
0: Yeah, they've played uh, for the conference championship, I think, each of the last two years.
3: Yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of interested in that storyline. I, I can't believe Zach, uh, Zach Thomas – or Zach – yeah, Zach, uh, Zach Thomas. It feels like he's been there as long as Brady White. <laughs> like, that, guy's, that guy is, is – and he's really good. We called him uh, Zach
0: Taylor last year, at some point. Oh,
3: that's, that's why I was. That's why I kind of hesitated
2: there.
0: Yeah,
2: he's uh, so good. Yeah. He doesn't need an H.
0: Well, it's it's Zachary Taylor Thomas.
2: Yeah, Zachary Taylor Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> but
3: he like that's a. I think yeah, they got to replace the run running backs. But he is the type of guy that gives you just sort of confidence, and this is the type of program that they keep on handing the baton off to the next man up within the program as a coaching staff and maintaining that culture. And as long as that's there, you got you know, you just sort of feel good about them being pretty good.
0: I think that if you're going to make national waves, if you're at state, you're still fighting the uphill battle of you need to go undefeated, right?
3: Yeah. But the, yeah. And, and you do, if you want to get like, if you want to pound your chest, yeah, you do need to go undefeated and you do need to go undefeated against this schedule. This is a great opportunity with this schedule to go undefeated and then, hey, go undefeated with this schedule and then you can pull the UCF stuff where you're yelling about getting in the
0: playoffs. The uh, Appalachian State, like Brian Kelly, not good for monsoons. I don't know if y'all remember that. The only game that App State lost last year was at home to Georgia Southern. It was like 35 rainy 25 mile an hour winds in the mountains.
2: I remember because that wonder was the Twitter tip of the day.
0: And did it almost bust because the rain calmed down?
2: Yeah, it calmed down like late in the game and there was like a bit of a scoring barrage, but thankfully there was that one field goal that got blown roughly 30 yards (laughs) wide of the upright. It was like a 35 yard field goal that somehow missed by 37 yards.
0: Oh man. Uh, he. Thank you to all of you who have uh, who made this spring gleaning so much fun. Uh, if you want to get in any questions about any teams specifically, whether they are covered in the hurry up hot seats or in this in. Uh, the process of this spring gleaning in one of the episodes with another conference or division, you can always submit it to the mailbag. You do that by going to give us a five-star review. Uh, leave us your question. Uh, within the review, we will add it to the mailbag and address it in a future mailbag segment. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Finelli. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much.
2: Thank you.